0: Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. Okay everyone, this week we are going to dive into the topic of disability. So today I have Spencer Bishens with me. He worked for the Social Security Administration for 11 years and during that time he wrote almost 2,000 decisions for the Social Security Administrative Law judges. That was a mouthful, Spencer. Can you kind of put that into layman's terms for everyone?
1: Sure. Uh, I saw a lot of medical records um, from people who are trying to get disability benefits. And I wrote a lot of decisions, almost 2,000 of them. Lots of them approving people for benefits. Woo! Yay! And lots denying people benefits. Boo. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some were kind of halfway where they get some benefits, but not all the benefits they wanted. So uh, as you said, I worked for Social Security for almost 11 years. I wrote decisions for lots of different judges in several different hearing offices around the country. So I have a pretty good idea of who the judges are, what the agency rules are, how the agency defines disability, and what the judges look for when they're looking at your medical records and trying to figure out if you meet that definition of disability. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, I cannot wait to dive into that. Before we do, can you give the audience a little background on what led you to get into this field, I guess we'll call it?
1: The social security generally or, or writing the book?
0: Uh, both.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with the easier of the two. Um, what led me to social security and disability benefits? Needing a paycheck. Uh, so I came out of law school and passed the bar and became a licensed attorney in 2008, mid 2008, late 2008 was not really the best time to be entering the job market in the United States or anywhere else in the world for that matter. And being a lawyer, was no exception to that. So it took a couple of years and lots and lots and lots of job applications, uh, to find a full time gig because law firms and the government all around the country were just shedding staff. And that created, so there weren't a lot of job openings and there were a large surplus of lawyers who needed those jobs. So it took me a couple of years and I took the first full time job with a bi weekly paycheck and healthcare benefits that came along. And that ended up being the Social Security Administration. But I ended up staying 11 years, and during that time, I worked in the Appeals Council for four years, reviewing disability appeals, and then I worked at the hearing level for seven years, where I wrote almost 2,000 decisions. And when I left Social Security, this is the second half of your question, when I left Social Security in 2021, I had all this knowledge that I had gained, all these observations I had made, a pretty large sample size over a long period of time, and so... I, I had seen a lot of trends, right? I had seen a lot of medical records, thousands of medical records, lots of people with non visible impairments. And I think probably for a lot of people, I see as a non visible impairment. If you're, you know, it might be that you have enough pain that it's visibly, mm-hmm. you're, we call it agony. an invisible
0: illness for a reason.
1: Yeah. And I don't like invisible. It's a subtle difference. But in my book, I use the term non-visible. But there's a lot of different types of non-visible impairments. Fibromyalgia, um, cancer. People don't think of cancer, but cancer is a non-visible impairment. Anything where someone might come up to you and say, you look fine to me is a non-visible impairment. But obviously, people with non-visible impairments, as I talk about in the book, are just as likely to be disabled and unable to work as someone who needs a cane or crushes or a wheelchair. And so I had all this information, I had all this knowledge, I knew what worked, what didn't work, what people were doing right, what they weren't doing right, where people were being sort of tricked by the Social Security Administration to think that this was a fair and impartial process. Whereas in reality, It's not. Social security does not want people getting disability benefits. They put up roadblocks and barriers all throughout the process to get people to exit that process as quickly as possible, as early as possible, and to not continue and to not want to keep going to pursue the benefits that they have earned and that they deserve. And I was frustrated by that. So I wanted to take everything that I had learned and put it in a book, one guide that people could use. You, you can read it all the way through. You can read it one chapter at a time. You can read just the chapters that apply to you. You can read it for a friend or family member. You could just keep it on your bookshelf as a reference guide. Um, I wanted to take everything that I had learned, but also all this legalistic information, like legal definitions and everything i am a lawyer but i even i sometimes get confused by things so i just wanted to break it down in a simple language plain language give examples and say look here's what's going on here's what social security is telling you but here's what's really going on here's what this means and here's an example and throughout the book i provide tons of examples so that you can understand what i'm trying to say because understanding this process and understanding Where the deck is stacked against you and how is critical to knowing how to actually get through this process and to get the benefits that, again, if you've paid into the system, which every American taxpayer has, you deserve those benefits. They're called an entitlement because you've paid in and are therefore entitled to receive them. So I get frustrated when people give up and walk away from that. So I wanted to give people a guide, Social Security Disability Revealed, where I would tell people why it's hard to access benefits, but what you can do about that, so that you don't give up and get frustrated and feel like you just want to walk away.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you wrote a book and and made it so simple for everyone. I think, especially the IC community, is is really going to need that resource. And so I'm definitely going to link that in the show notes. But can you walk us through the process of applying for disability?
1: Yeah. So let's start with what Social Security tells you.
0: Yes, they please. Say,
1: oh, <laughs> just go onto our website, ssa.gov. You create a my Social Security account. That part I actually do endorse because everyone can then access their own Social Security records and it'll even tell you on there, if you become disabled as of today, this is the monthly amount you would get. Do that. But then they'll say, oh, just, just hit apply and fill out the application, and it takes 15 minutes and send us your medical records. It's easy. Well, it, it's not quite that simple. Because, yeah, you're going to fill out an application, and then they're going to ask you to send function reports. And then they're going to ask you to send in your medical records. But They know, Social Security knows, that their medical records keeping in the United States is a mess. People having complete records, most people don't even have their medical records, right? right? You just assume your doctor's got them. Mm -hmm. And then if you're told, go get your medical records, most people don't even know how to do that. Some places will say, you know, we'll print it out for you at 50 cents a page. You've got about 500 pages of records. Most people can't afford to, like, pay that bill not not so not, and not the distant past like just a couple of years ago one of my own doctors said what's your fax number we'll fax you your records like i have a fax sheet at home. <laughs>
0: like everyone has a fax
1: but people but that's still how things work in the us right it's we'll print your records we'll fax you your records and then have you ever looked at your own medical records like i have and, and Like medications that I told them I haven't used in three years is still on my medications list. Mm -hmm. Complaints that I made four years ago are still on the symptoms list, just because that's how a lot of the software works in the U.S., where if no one goes back in and changes something, every time you go back in, it just assumes that's a current complaint. That's to make it easier for the doctors and nurses. But it often means that lots of what's in your medical records is just wrong. Mm-hmm. And and if you're a veteran and you went to the VA, VA records are the worst. There'll be thousands of pages and things are duplicative. It, the whole system is a mess. But Social Security knows this. So they know they're gonna get a pile of medical records that are old, incomplete, inaccurate, they're gonna have gaps. And gaps are important because the definition of disability for social security purposes is the inability to do full-time work because of a medical impairment for a full 12 continuous months. So if you have a gap in the 12 months of medical records, they might say, well, you didn't have this medical condition for a full 12 continuous months, which is ridiculous, right? If you get Mm -hmm. diagnosed with IC and then you go back three months later and see the doctor and you still have IC, You did not have IC in that three months, right? Maybe You you just couldn't get in to see the doctor because specialists, we have a doctor shortage in the US and it takes three months to see a specialist. So so social security saying, oh, just apply and send us your medical records. But they know that most people will have a mess for medical records. And so it's no surprise then that they end up denying over 70% of the cases at, at the initial level because they know just from their own, mass of statistics. Over a million people apply for disability every year, so they know from that enormous sample size that seven out of ten cases that they get, they're going to be able to easily deny just because you don't meet the very, your medical records don't show that you meet the very strict definition of disability. And it's usually not until that point where someone gets one or two denials that that person realizes, This is not going to be so simple. I'm now in a full-on fight with the United States government. I've been lied to. They're gaslighting me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why one of my main motivations for writing the book, and that's where I get started, is telling you the difference between the two Social Security programs, how Social Security makes decisions, and how that initial level works and why they are gaslighting you and lying to you because I want people to understand that. There may not be a whole lot you can do to change things at that part of the process, but there is a lot you can do, like make sure you're getting medical records that meet the definition of disability, make sure there are no gaps, talk to your doctors about medical opinions of what needs to be in them. And those are things you should do before you apply for benefits, right? So that's why I want people to understand what social security is saying, and where it's not accurate, so that uh, subtitle of the book, right? So you know what to do about it, so that you aren't just applying and crossing your fingers and hoping, like most people do. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, I mean, based on that, my takeaway is that our government is just like in the in the corner of the room, like waiting for us to send them our records so that they can be like denied. <laughs> right yeah
1: and and here and here's why it's important to understand why i think because people think like well it sounds like they're operating this program like a for profit insurance company but it's the government why are they doing that that's exactly what they're doing they operate the disability program like a for profit insurance company it is the government there's no profit but if you think about social security more broadly the way social security is set up is that you start working at say 20 25, let's say, and you work till 65. Well, that's 40 years. And then you only collect benefits for like five or six years until you die, because that's the average life expectancy. So work for 40 years, receive benefits for six years. Well, when you then reduce the amount of time you're paying into the system because you become disabled at, say, 45. And then there's the prospect that you might be receiving disability benefits for a long period of time. You can see how that actually throws off the economics of the way social security was originally intended to work it was originally intended that you would pay in for a long time and get benefits for a little bit of time that's not the case with people who are disabled right if you're collecting benefits in your 30s or 40s and you may be collecting benefits for 5 or 10 or even 20 years it's just not set up that way and because social security can't make decisions for people at retirement age There's no decision there. You apply, you're at retirement age, you just get your benefits. The only decision point they have is for people trying to get into the disability program. That's the only place they can actually deny claims. And if they approve too many claims for people who were under the age of 55, it destabilizes the program financially. And so that's why social security has to be very careful in how they operate the disability program And they have to really operate it more like a for-profit insurance company where they're focusing on, it's almost like the presumption is your claim is denied unless you show us to a pretty substantial burden why it should be approved. But how are you supposed to do that when you don't know the definition of disability? You have no control over getting your medical records. If you're not working, maybe you have no insurance because 80% of Americans have insurance and tied to their job. So if your health insurance is tied to your job and you're not working, you have no insurance, maybe you can't go see a doctor in the first place. Again, Social Security knows this. They understand how the economy works in the U.S. They understand that most claimants have probably now lost their insurance, cannot go see doctors. And the doctors you can see, as we've talked about, you're going to have a mess of medical records. And that's if you can even see doctors. So Yes. That's kind of a good explanation is they know that seven out of 10 cases are going to be deniable. So they tell you, go ahead and apply. And they're sitting there waiting with that denial stamp. Mm -hmm. It's like someone from social security is waiting there with the denial stamp. And that was my inspiration for the art on the book of having it be a stamp, because, you know, most people are thinking about getting that denial stamp. And instead, I want you to think about getting a stamp of like revealing the system to you and how it works and what you need to know so that you can avoid getting a stamp that says denied.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's actually really creative on your part. (laughs) Can you talk about like the application process? So, this is something that like I I could apply for if I needed to. Like, you don't need help from anyone to apply for disability.
1: Technically, that's true. You're a citizen, you're a taxpayer, if you've paid the social security tax, which everyone does if you're filing a tax return, because you're either an employee and it automatically comes out of your paycheck or you're self-employed and then you pay the self-employment tax when you do your tax return once a year. Mm-hmm. So you're legally required to pay it either way. And so once you've paid it, you are earning the credits. And I explain in part one of the book how the credit system works, how you earn a credit, what that means, how you get all four credits, and and how you become insured. Because it's, a, it's ultimately, it's an insurance program, um, but it's one that you have no choice. You are required by law to be in it. So here's the thing. Yes, in theory, you could do this on your own. But as we've already talked about, you are up against the system with people who have way more knowledge than you and who are just itching for you to apply in a way that's unprepared so that they can pounce on that case, on that medical record with a giant denied stamp. So I highly recommend against that. That's the whole point of the book is to say there's really three people I th- I recommend that you have in your corner. The first is shameless self-promotion here. The first one is me, you <laughs> want me in your corner and all the knowledge I gained over 11 years in the agency. And that's this book. And there I am on the back of it, not shameless plug. It. But but the information in here is is like the absolute minimum that you need to go into this process where you're not going in blind, where you know what's going on. And when you know what the definition of disability is, what the differences are between the programs, how the state agency, when you apply, looks at evidence, you know when things are happening that are not good for you. For example, when you apply, before they deny you, they're going to have you go see a doctor. They're going to say, oh, we're going to go send you to see Dr. Smith. And most people think like, oh, this is great. I'm going to go see Dr. Smith. They're going to pay for it. And Dr. Smith's going to tell them that I'm disabled. That's not how it works at all. But that's what most people think is happening. Well, Dr. Smith is being paid by Social Security. And Dr. Smith knows that if Dr. Smith wants to keep getting more cases, Dr. Smith needs to give the people who are paying him what they want. And what they want is a medical opinion saying you're not disabled and you can work. And so that's a setup. The state agency consultative exam is a huge setup. And you have to know that going into that. And if you know that and you understand that, you're still required to go to the appointment and you're still required to cooperate, but maybe you don't put all your hope and all your eggs in that basket and think this person's gonna prove my disability claim because they're not, they're actually there to do the opposite. And you as the claimant need to understand how to counteract that evidence, how to rebut that evidence when that person says you can work. But you have to know that before that process even starts. And you have to be able to identify, ah, I read about this in the book. I know it's happening. I know this is not good for me. I still have to go through this gauntlet, but I have to identify when something is good and something something is bad. And I have to know how to handle that situation. So the first person is me. Second person is a friend or family member to help advocate for you. And this is really important for most claimants because most claimants are in pain. If you have IC, you're in pain, right? Maybe you can't get out of bed. Maybe you can't sit on the phone to get your medical records. Maybe you can't get in the car and drive over to the doctor's office to pick them up. You just can't deal with all the frustrating aspects of this situation. So like there are some things you'll have to do but there's a lot of things that a friend or family member who's helping you develop your case and prepare your case, there's a lot that person can do. That person can also read the book and understand the process. And then you have two sets of eyes and two brains going at this. And that's of course, twice as much help or even more because that person maybe is unimpaired. And so they may be able to be even more helpful than you can be for your own case. The third person, is a knowledgeable, professional, qualified Social Security disability representative. Many of those people are lawyers, but they don't have to be. There are a lot of good non-attorney representatives. And you might see a commercial on TV where they say something like, no fee unless you win. That's true. It is 100% true. The way those lawyers or non-attorney representatives work, there's a very strict system that Social Security has set up for how they get paid. And I explain that in detail in the book so you can understand it. But it's true that they don't get paid unless you win. But what that, And it's true that there's a cap on how much they can get paid. And it's $7,200. And that's great for claimants, right? Because that means if you win, you get to keep most of your benefits. But there's a flip side to that. Those lawyers are really busy people. It's a volume business for them. They don't make a lot of money in your case. And that means they have to have 99 other people just like you on their calendar for the next few months. What that means is you may only get one or two hours with your representative. They're working for you and they're going to work with you and they're going to represent you at your hearing, but they're not in your doctor's office with you. They're not talking to your doctor about medical opinions they're not helping put together those medical records. Their role is a really important one, but it's also a limited one. And that's why it's so important that you have all three of those parties, you and your friend or family member advocate, you have your role that you need to fulfill. And then your lawyer or non-attorney representative has their role and you two have to work together. And of course, I'm also in the mix as well, right? Because I'm in your head. I'm the knowledge that you have as you're fulfilling your role as the claimant. And then we all work together to help you present your case to achieve the best possible outcome that you can.
0: Let's take a quick break to talk about the membership I just launched for IC Warriors. As an active member in the IC community, I was noticing a lot of negativity inside IC support groups and realized it's deterring many IC warriors from getting the support they need. I wanted to create a safe space where people of all genders, ages, and symptoms can come together to support one another. The IC Collective is the very first monthly membership for IC warriors to connect, learn, and get support from IC experts and their peers. Inside the IC Collective, you'll have access to our private messenger app where you can connect with other people around the world through our various support channels where you can discuss a specific topic. Examples of channels include hunter's lesions, IC and endometriosis, IC and IBS, pain, frequency, men only, women only, and more. I designed it this way to allow people to ask questions to others who have similar experiences and can provide the support that they're seeking. Also included in the IC Collective is a monthly webinar where you'll learn more about a topic related to IC from either me or another IC expert. November's webinar is on how to navigate the holidays with IC, December's is on flare management, and January's webinar is on supplements for IC. Lastly, you'll have access to a weekly Q&A where you can come and ask me whatever questions you want. I have a lifetime of personal IC experience and years of professional experience and can give you my expert feedback that you likely won't get in the typical IC support groups. I'm offering enrollment to this one-of a kind membership for thirty seven dollars a month to the first twenty five people to join. I can't wait to see you inside the IC collective. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, Got it. I think this is making sense to me
1: because I, told I know that you. Was, I, I know that was a long and complicated <laughs> answer. But it's a legal proceeding, right? Like, think about if your car has a problem. Like, you know your car is a problem. It doesn't turn on, right? You take it to the mechanic. You want a professional mechanic who knows what they're doing. But you also, if you're going to pay someone 3000 bucks, you kind of want to understand what's going on, right? So you want to know what's going on. And maybe you, you know, do five minutes of internet research. But still, you're, you're educating yourself. You're trying to understand what that thing is that seems to be broken in your car and you have a professional helping you and you work together to make sure that it gets done right. Same thing if you have a cavity, like you want to know what the treatments are. How is Novocaine going to impact me? How much, how many shots am I going to need? It's everything in life is a little bit self-education and we also hire a professional and we work together to achieve the best possible outcome. And this is a legal process, but it's no different from a medical process or getting your car fixed or buying a new guitar where you want to do some research, it, right? It's all about self-education and getting some professional help. And it's incredibly important with Social Security because we're talking potentially tens of thousands of dollars in benefits, right? It's just not the time to be de- DIYing this process. And I actually have a chapter in the book where I say don't DIY this.
0: Got it. Yeah, that was something that I, I definitely wanted to ask was is this process DIYable? So I'm glad that you you said that.
1: A lot of people do DIY it, but I have 2,000 cases of worth of knowledge that I saw and I saw lots of people trying to do this on their own and there's just too many rules, regulations, procedures, And the judges don't, they have to do like 50 cases a month. They don't have the patience to be holding your hand throughout this. They will treat an unrepresented claimant in almost the same way that they will treat a represented claimant. If you don't have your evidence in on time, they won't consider it. If you violate some kind of rule or procedure because you just didn't know about it, because you didn't want to hire a representative and have to pay them $7,000, tough. They will treat you like any other claimant. And I have an example in the book of someone, if that person hires a representative, they win and get tens of thousands of dollars in benefits. But because they try and cheap it up, they don't hire a representative, they miss something and they lose. So, I, and I put that example in the book to illustrate how important it is. It's not something to mess around with. The system is too complicated and even if you read the book you do not know as much as the social security disability representative what's in this book is like the the base general knowledge that you as the claimant should have your representative has a lot more knowledge so this will allow you to make the best use of your time when you're having your discussions your preparation meetings with your representative but i do not advocate that anyone read this and try and do it on their own this is not enough to know how to present your case to the judge and have your have the best possible chance of success. It's this plus professional help.
0: Got it. Got it. So the, yeah, this is one of the one of the things out there that is definitely worth investing in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the question just comes down to like how badly do you want to win your case? And of course, I can't promise that you'll win your case. No one can promise that, right? There are some books out there that try. They have titles like how to win your disability case, but no one can promise you you're going to win your case. I don't know what how, how good your evidence is or how old you are or what your impairments are or what kind of judge you're going to get or you know how, much, uh, how long that judge is going to look at your medical record. So I can't promise anything, but what I can promise you is I'm providing you with a substantial amount of education about how the process works so that you're going to give yourself the best possible chance of success. And the best the formula for that is self-education plus having a professional representative. And that's how you make sure that you fill in all of the gaps and present the most possible airtight case to try and convince even a low paying judge that you are disabled and that you deserve those benefits.
0: hmm. Okay. So how long does the application process typically take?
1: Yeah. This get get ready. This one's not <laughs> going to be an answer that you're going to enjoy hearing. Okay. So let's go back to what we talked about earlier, where Social Security doesn't want to pay a lot of cases. Right. Because they can't hand out too much in disability benefits because they don't want to destabilize the whole social security system. So they deny seven out of 10 cases right up front. That initial process takes a few months, three to five, six months. Then there's another level called reconsideration. Almost 100 percent of people will be denied there. It's nearly impossible to be denied and then approved. So almost everyone is going to be denied twice. So now you're six months into the process when you request a hearing with a judge. The average wait time for hearing with a judge is about a year. So that's six months plus another 12 months. So it's a solid 16 to 18 months, sometimes longer, before you even get to a hearing with a judge. And that's, again, that's the majority of people because most people aren't approved at the initial level. So if you're not approved and you don't give up, you're waiting. 16 to 18 months, where you're not working full-time, you're not earning a substantial amount of money, maybe therefore you have no health insurance, but you're expected to keep going to doctors and getting medical records, you can see how this process is kind of stacked against you, right?
0: Yeah, it's so twisted.
1: It's twisted. They purposefully build in this long period of time. I don't know which way on your screen I'm going. It's a long period (laughs) of time. Make you wait, and that's for attrition, right? They want people to get discouraged, to drop out, to feel like, oh, I guess Social Security says I'm not disabled, to feel like I have to go work. I I don't want to be homeless. I have to pay my rent. I have no choice. I have to go back to work. They also build in this 18-month period of time where if they know you have no health insurance, maybe you're not getting medical records. So by the time you actually get to the hearing level, you have this large chunk of time where you had either no records or not very good records. And then the judge says something to you like, why weren't you seeing a doctor for 18 months? And your answer might be, and this is very typical, as you would imagine. Someone says something like, well, I couldn't work. I lost my job. I didn't have health insurance. I couldn't afford to get treatment. That seems like a a very reasonable answer, right? Very logical. I can't tell you how many judges have said to me or the claimant something like, well, if you weren't seeing a doctor, I guess you didn't need treatment. I guess that means you can work. Wow. So you can't work and don't have insurance and can't see a doctor. And then the judge turns that around and says, because you didn't see a doctor, I guess you didn't need treatment and can work, even though you literally couldn't work. So again, that's just a way. That's one of those ways that Social Security is never going to tell you about. You're not going to read on the Social Security website that this is happening but i've observed this from thousands of cases and so i've i've learned that this is how the system is working and this is it's built this way specifically to keep people out but you know if you're if you just look at it without understanding that you might just look at that case and go oh that person didn't see a doctor maybe they didn't need to see a doctor but then when you learn why that person isn't seeing a doctor and you understand that the system is designed this way, you can see that there is a level of intent here from the Social Security Administration. They're intentionally doing these things to keep you from getting your benefits. If it wasn't intentional, if they really wanted to try and get you benefits, they'd make the process shorter. They'd get you a decision within a few months. They wouldn't force you to go see a doctor that they're paying to, send, to give an opinion that you're not disabled. And when you appeal for that hearing level, they wouldn't have that take an additional 12 months, right? They would have that be three more months. It's not an accident that it's 12 months. Not long ago it was 24 months, by the way. That's actually Please. come that's actually come down over time as the number of applicants has come down from about two billion per year to about 1 million per year. Wow. But you have to know how to deal with all that. It's not easy, right? When you're in pain, you can't work and you know you have a painful bladder condition, um, you can't stand up, you can't leave the house, maybe you can't even like find the right treatment, that sucks to go through it for that long and then to be told by someone who makes $180,000 a year to sit in an air-conditioned office with a sit-down, fairly comfortable, safe federal employee job, for that, that judge to tell you I guess you didn't need that medical treatment, huh? Like that's really, that just sucks. It really does. I I told you I was going to put it in in normal human English and there it is, it sucks.
0: Oh man, I wasn't expecting to feel this way.
1: But there are some strategies that you can use and that's where I get into part four. of, For three of the book, I explain the hearing level and how that works. Most people are going to get all the way to a hearing level with the judge. And that's where I work. I was a staff attorney at the hearing level. Most people don't understand this, but the judges don't write their own decisions because they're doing 50 cases a month. They don't have time to write their own decisions. So they do the hearing and they make a decision like, you know, like a medieval King doing this or this, Mm -hmm. they make a decision. And then the staff attorneys like me actually write the decision. And that's where my experience comes in is listening to the hearings and seeing the actual medical records and having to, on behalf of the judge, actually make the argument of why you're disabled or not disabled. And so I learned from that uh, that whole process, what you can do if you're in this situation, because I understand that that's the situation most people are in. So section three of the book is explaining the hearing level and how it's gonna play out and why there are gonna be people at your hearing talking about you who have never met you. That's important to know. But then also in part four of the book, I get into the medical aspects of this. I'm not a doctor. And I say right up front, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. But here's my observations from a legal standpoint of things you could try and do to try and close that evidentiary gap. Because I understand that most people, if you can't work and you're losing your health insurance, you just feel hopeless. You're feeling, it's like, what does the judge expect me to do? Well, there are lots of ways you can get either free or reduced price care. And 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 really, the the overall uh, theme of that section of the book is just get the most medical care you can get that you can afford. You just have to do whatever you can at that point, mm-hmm. right? And um, it's not easy. And if you live in a small town, maybe you live in a small town and you don't have a urology specialist in your town. Maybe the only doctor in your town is a family doctor, and the urologist is you know two hours away by car. But you can't afford gas to go there let alone pay you know the specialist cuz you don't have health insurance so the deck, the deck is stacked against you and it can be hard when you hire a representative and that attorney representative says you're saying you have ic i need some evidence from a urologist to show to the judge that's where i can, you know a lot of people think i hire a lawyer and the lawyer will fix everything or handle everything but they can't, right? If, if you're saying you're disabled for a uh, genitourinary impairment and then you don't have evidence from a specialist like a urologist, I assume that's who who you would- Yeah, a uh, urologist or a urogynecologist. See, gynecologist. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if you can't see a urologist or a urogynecologist, what do you do? And unfortunately, that's, that's not just you. If that's what you're thinking and that's what you're feeling right now, you or your listeners, that's not just you. That's most claimants are in that situation and social security knows this and the judges know it. And then it just, and the, and the attorneys know it too, by the way, when you go to, to see your attorney, they're not expecting you to have good medical records or thorough records or records without gaps. They get this all the time. And so they are professionals in how to deal with that situation and kind of put lipstick on the pig. But ultimately when they do that, The Social Security judge knows that it's still a pig, right? And so even at the hearing level, a lot of cases are still being denied. Your chances do go up when you get to the hearing level. It's closer to about 50%. So the judges are proving more cases because by that point, people have a representative a lot of the times, or they've gained some knowledge, or they've got better medical records. There are all kinds of reasons why your chances of approval do go up at that point, but still it's, you don't want it to be a coin flip, right? You don't want to put your whole future or your ability to pay your rent and not become homeless on the flip of a coin. You want to know what you can do to increase your chances. If it's 50% overall, well, you want to be able to do things that help push you into that approval group. And, and push your chances way above 50%. And if you have a good representative, good knowledge about how the program works, you know what's gonna happen at your hearing, you know how that vocational expert testimony is gonna go, you know what kind of medical evidence you need and how to get it, you can increase those odds for yourself, even though overall, for all the people in your situation, they're 50%, you can try and push those odds in your favor. This is what I like to tell people, and I know we're kind of nearing the end here, and what I like to leave people with a lot of the time is you may get a judge that's a, a low-paying judge. I wrote decisions for judges who paid 20% of their cases, and if your a lawyer tells you you got Judge Smith and Judge Smith is a 20% payer, your odds just went from 50% down to 20%, right? That can seem discouraging but Judge Smith is still paying one out of every five cases. And so if Judge Smith on Wednesday is having five hearings, statistically, Judge Smith is going to pay one of those cases. One or two of those people won't have a representative. Probably all four of those other people will not have read my book. Most of those people will know nothing about how the process works or what's going to happen at their hearing. And so if you have good quality medical records, if you know the process, if you've hired a good representative and you've communicated and you've prepared, maybe you're the most prepared out of those five cases. So maybe your odds aren't one in five then, right? Maybe it it's actually looking more like you're more likely to be that one out of five that is going to be paid. And if if that judge looks at your case and listens to your testimony. And you know what you have to prove and you know what to testify to and how to do that. And and that judge looks at your case and thinks, ah, this is a pretty airtight case. I guess this is the one I'm going to have to pay today. Turns out that your odds were never really 20 percent. Right. They were much, much higher because you were so prepared. And so that's why it's important to be really prepared to know how this process works, even though the deck is stacked against you in all these different ways, there are ways you can kind of flip that and take advantage of certain rules and procedures that social security has and take advantage of understanding how the judges decide cases. And that's completely legal and allowed, right? You want to know what's going on to give yourself the best possible chance at success.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been so informing, um, informational, sorry, I'm having a morning. Can you tell everyone where they can find the book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the website is Bishenspublishing.com. It's my last name, which is Bishens, B-I-S-H-I-N-S publishing.com. That has links to all the places to buy the book, Amazon, ebook and paperback, but also ebook at Apple, Barnes & Noble, Scribd. You can also ask your local library to get it in ebook or paperback. And I have all the information on the website that you can give to your library and ask them to order that book for you. We also have links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's also a description of the book and table of contents, So you can see how it's laid out, how it's organized. So you can understand how I'm trying to communicate that information and see if it seems like a right fit for you
0: awesome. Well, thank you so much Spencer for coming on. I think this has really been a, a an episode that the IC community is really going to to need and it was laid out in a way that was really easy to understand. I know I told you I was really nervous in the beginning of this episode that I wasn't going to understand the things you were saying, but I actually, you know, was able to digest all of that and I feel pretty confident about it. So, you know, I'm sure reading that book, your book is going to just so 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 helpful for anyone trying to apply for disability
1: yeah and and i i appreciate that but i also just want to leave your listeners with one more thing here i see again coming back to it's a non-visible impairment and everyone has naysayers in their life it might be your neighbor your nosy neighbor bill or your colleague you know if you are working part-time at the next cubicle over or someone to the grocery store someone and and if you you talk to people you know i have this impairment i'm applying for disability there are a lot of people who are going to come up and be like you don't look disabled to me or it seems like you can work or like you lift your groceries into the car and someone will sneak up behind you you can lift groceries can't you mow lawns <laughs> or be a cashier right like there's just all kinds of negative people in your life and none of them know anything about social security disability or the rules or anything so their opinions, and I explain this in the book, their opinions do not matter at all. You've paid into the Social Security system. You have a medical impairment. It prevents you from working full time. You are entitled to Social Security disability benefits under the law. So you got to kind of tune out these people who don't, whose opinions don't matter and understand the opinions that do matter. And that's the law. The law says that you can get disability benefits. I will explain to you the rules and procedures for how to do that. But the people who talk to you about like, you don't need these benefits and you're fine and fraud, waste and abuse, and you, you're you just taking advantage of taxpayers. You just have to tune all that out because it's totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter and none of it means anything. And this is, I find that this is particularly important to reemphasize this when someone has a non-visible impairment because you, you're just constantly getting this all the time. And sometimes people think like, maybe I don't really need disability. I can get up, I can leave the house, I can drive to the grocery store. Maybe I'm not really disabled, but you got to step back out of that and just think, do I have an impairment? Does it prevent me from working full time? And if the answer is yes, then you meet that definition of disability under Social Security's rules. And that's really all that matters. The one and only person that you need to convince is the Social Security judge, because they are literally employed to and being paid to stand in judgment over you right their opinion counts but their opinions are based on the law and the medical evidence they're not just guessing or like you know doing what your na- nosy neighbors doing so try not to worry about what all these people who have no idea what they're talking about try not to worry about or think about what they're saying it's hard but ultimately there's one opinion that matters and that's the judge and that person is a lawyer. They're trained on how to make legal decisions based on the law and the evidence. And that's what this is. It's a legal procedure. And if you meet that definition of disability, go get the benefits. You are entitled to them. It is an entitlement. You've paid into the system. Don't let anyone, including the Social Security Administration, tell you that you can't get those benefits. You just have to be persistent. And there's going to be a lot of obstacles. But you can do this. I'm going to help you. Your lawyer's going to help you. Your friends and family are going to help you. And we're going to help you put forth the best possible case you can to give yourself the best possible chance of being approved.
0: Mic drop. (laughs) Love that. Okay. Well, that you just gave me a lot more to think about there, but I completely agree. Stay in your lane and, you know, just convince that judge. So thank you so much again, Spencer, for coming on. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to make sure you're subscribed and following along. If you enjoyed this episode specifically, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me exactly what you enjoyed about the episode. For more content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Kali K Nutrition.